Hello and welcome to the Inside Social Work podcast, a podcast that aims to inspire, engage and connect social workers with other social workers and allied health professionals doing interesting and amazing things across the world. I'm your host, Marie Vakakis. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. I chat with Ashton Hayes and Ashton and I did a podcast episode uh, in episode 26 where Ashton shares a bit about her journey into social work um, so you can access that recording in the show notes. In um, my interview or my chat with Ashton we talk about becoming an accredited mental health social worker so this is very relevant for those who work in Australia part of our pathway into accreditation involves supervision psychological focus strategies and can be a little confusing for some people so Ashton talks us through some of those different steps and how you can work towards your accreditation and she shares some of the resources that she's developed including her accredited mental health social worker roadmap which is part of an ebook series a private facebook group that she has as well as her consultation and training so some really great things there for those looking to understand a bit more about the amhsw um, status and if they're interested in becoming uh, registered as well we do have a bit of a chat and um, some fun things around uh, supervision and what we wish we knew when we were first starting out and the importance of that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, if you are intrigued by the talk of supervision, uh, head on over to some earlier episodes and I'll link to those in the show notes as well. I did a, a mini series on supervision where I talked about individual supervision, group supervision, learning styles and a whole bunch of other stuff, which can be really helpful to help you get the most out of your supervision sessions, as well as those who might be interested in joining the um, Social Workers in Schools supervision group that I run. Uh, there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well. So here is my interview with Ashton Hayes. Hello and welcome back to the Inside Social Work podcast. I have another return guest, which I'm super excited about, Ashton Hayes, uh, who appeared well, a couple of years ago on episode 26, where she shared a bit of her journey. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes, so I won't spend too much time on that but welcome back Ashton. Thank you so much for having me it's lovely to be here. Yeah it's really um the time flew quite quickly we were just chatting before we hit record that I can't believe it's been well so much has happened in the little bit of time that we've had a gap in our connection. Yes this world has uh, given us lots of challenges to work with. That's a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> um, could you tell us a bit about your social work journey um, briefly? Because if people want to kind of know more, they can check out that previous episode. But you've got quite an interesting journey there. Sure. Well, I I started out in law um, because I was very keen to do child protection work. And at that point in time, I felt that um, law would give me a good pathway to um, becoming a legal aid lawyer and representing children. However, as things progressed and I realised I would have to work 
you know, 60 plus hours a week, maybe, um, I realized that social work was probably a better way um, to go for me. So I moved out of law and into social work. I, I just realized I could have a much wider reach in social work. And so here I am as a social worker. Do you miss any bits of the legal setting? I'm not sure whether I do. I think that in law, it's very adversarial and it's not really recognised that people are people, even though I'm, you know, there are lots of great lawyers out there. But at the end of the day, our system is about there being a winner. And with children and in family law cases, there aren't often winners. I think uh, doing the social work side of things, it it feels like, certainly from my perspective, that I can help more. That's such an interesting um, comment that there are no winners. Like I think, and maybe it's some stereotypes, but whenever I've done training or work with parents who are lawyers, there's they're very, I think they forget to take that hat off and there's a very sort of right or wrong, is it like a winner and loser? But when you're working with the complexity of family law, there's sadness and grief and loss on both sides. Like, yes, each person's trying to advocate for their client but nobody, yeah nobody wins like it's, a family's been torn apart in the process exactly and at the end of the day if we come at it from the perspective of being able to make sure that we move through particularly in family law if we move through that process in a way that does the least harm that's a much better outcome I think than winning mm. So interesting. So you're now a accredited mental health social worker mm-hmm. and you work in private practice. Could you talk a little bit about the kinds of clients or the things that you work with in your practice? Yeah. Uh, so I have a private practice where I specialize in trauma, um, treating all kinds of trauma. I work with adults and couples and I I use a lot of EMDR um, to treat that trauma. I find that that's a really helpful modality and it has, um, I think it has a broad spectrum of impact and there are so many elements of it that people find really helpful. It's very validating, I think, and also it gives people the opportunity to process their trauma in a way that they don't always have to go back to the traumatic incident and describe it in detail. Um, You know, we really um, don't need people to go into their trauma in detail. I find that when people feel they have to do that, it kind of can embed the trauma and we don't want that to happen. And so that's a modality that I really like. Um, And I think all of the work that I do in clinic, all of it is trauma-informed irrespective of people's experiences because we are the um, result, I guess, of the experiences that we've had in our lives and whether or not you've had a big T trauma or not, it's still, you're still going to have had experiences that impact you. So I operate in a trauma-informed way with everybody I see. Yeah, wonderful. And EMDR is um, becoming increasingly popular. I think a couple of episodes ago, um, we did have Caroline Burrows and EMDR 
consultant and trainer come on and a mm. lot of practitioners are mentioning um, that they like working with EMDR therapy. So it's really great to hear. Yeah, it's a great intervention and I really like Carolyn as well and the work that she does. She's a wonderful support um, to people wanting to do that work. So, yeah. Yeah, so if you're interested, check out those episodes. <laughs> um, so in addition to your client work, uh, you work a lot with social workers through their accreditation process and that's sort of a big piece of what you do. Could you share a bit about what what that looks like, what that involves? Yeah, of course. So alongside my private practice, I also have my consultancy, which is Ashton Hayes Consulting. And I've always done uh, training and leadership and supervision through that consultancy. But one of the things that I really noticed when I was going through my own accreditation process was it was really hard to find help. It was really hard to get clear pathways um, to assist me to get started. And even after accreditation, more and more I would hear from people, uh, other social workers saying, yeah, I'm really keen to get my accreditation, but I'm finding it really difficult to find clear information about how to um, start the process and how to write their applications. And so I began to support social workers more and more in that. I had decided to start a Facebook group, which is called Becoming an AMHSW, and that's a group for um, prospective mental health social workers. We've got everyone from new grads, students, right up to, you know, long-term veteran social workers. Um, and I guess what I have found is that people are very keen to get their accreditation, but they don't really fully understand the process. So I did my own accreditation several years ago, but in order to keep myself current, I rewrote an application. Of course, I didn't submit it, but I rewrote it. And off the back of that, I then developed an ebook series called the AMHSW Roadmap. And that ebook series um, supports people through the accreditation process. Wonderful. If people wanted to get involved with this, um, the roadmap, Mm-hmm. What, what can they do? Sure. So um, the AMHSW Roadmap is uh, a two-part ebook series that people can access via my website, which is ashtonhayesconsulting.com.au. You do have the opportunity to also get a session with me. So the full package includes the ebooks and a, and a one-hour consult with me. And um Basically, what that involves is giving people the opportunity to talk through their process to work out whether they are, in fact, eligible for accreditation. I think there's a lot of confusion around what mental health accreditation is. And I guess all social workers who are working with people will have elements of mental health work in what they do, of course. But mental health accreditation is about um, having experience doing therapeutic interventions using focused psychological strategies and that needs to kind of be the majority of your work whereas in therapeutic casework or casework roles you're not really doing therapy in the same way as you would if your role was purely a counseling or therapeutic role. I think that's where a lot of I see a lot of the confusion as well of people thinking oh well I've been a social worker for 10, 15 years, I'll apply mm. for my accreditation status. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. Like 
you can be really, really highly skilled and highly experienced in your mm-hmm. area of specialty, mm-hmm. but that's not therapy. Exactly. And I know that can feel very disheartening for a lot of um, people. And when people come for me, to me for a consultation, you know, one of the most difficult things is when I say to them, unfortunately, you don't meet the criteria and it's, it's quite confusing. And I didn't, I also didn't meet the criteria. I, I had done therapeutic casework for a long time and run big um, programs and supervised therapists within those programs. And what I actually did was go from running a very large program in, in Sydney, uh, managing a, a bunch of uh, caseworkers and team leaders and, and therapists, and I went right back into on-the-ground therapeutic work, and I did that for two years to be able to get my accreditation. Um, and sometimes that's what you have to do. And it can feel a little bit like, oh, God, I've been in the field for so long. I certainly had been in the field for well over a decade before I Mm. got my accreditation. It can feel really like, oh, you know, I've got all this experience. It seems really unfair. But at the end of the day, as mental health social workers, we are actually specialising in that mental health and therapeutic space. And so we really want to make sure we hone our skills and that we have the training to make sure that we're actually meeting those criteria. Yeah, I think you're so right. And maybe the confusion is that because we don't have a registration requirement that people feel like this is the closest thing. Um, yes. So in the US, they have their um, LCSW, so their licensed clinical social worker, and you have to sit an exam and register, whereas yes. we don't if we don't have that. So maybe that's where it gets confusing is people think the AMHSW is the thing to aim for but it's a completely different skill and modality it yeah. I learned nothing about counseling I think I did one subject in my degree it is not it is a completely different skill set so you are starting essentially from scratch it's a separate it's a completely separate industry yeah it really is and so you know as I've developed Um, tools to support social workers I've also started a new grad program so that new grad program is about supervision and training Um, there is also the potential to work with me uh, to be able to support people on the ground from the time of graduation right through to those two years in order to be able to give them I guess enough Um, experience and training and supervision to decide okay yes I'm ready to apply or you know I want to do a little bit more work before I do yeah that's wonderful Um, sort of leads right into the next question is if someone would like to work towards their um, AMHSW I wish it was such an easier acronym (laughs) goodness why couldn't we just copy someone else's AMHSW status Mm -hmm. Um, what's the first thing they should do so where can they start or what can they what can they do okay so if you are newly a newly minted social worker i really recommend that you look for a role in counseling so uh health roles state health roles can be quite good um headspace offers some great um on the ground training and um introductory um experience for new social workers if you are at the point where you feel like, yes, I I am ready to apply, you need to make sure that you meet the criteria, right? So you need to make sure that you are working in a therapeutic role. 
right? So that's the very first thing that you need to do because if you're not working in a therapeutic role, role you're not going to meet the criteria. doesn't mean that you can't work to get there, but that's going to be your first thing. So, um, you know, I often work with people about um, making sure that they find a role that meets the criteria. And some people decide, you know, they're not, maybe they're not ready yet, which is fine. Um, and I guess sometimes it can be a bit frustrating because I'm very heavy on making sure that we meet the very first part of the criteria and it can feel like a lot of ad admin type stuff and a lot of paperwork. But if we don't build that foundation, it, it's all sort of going to fall down at the point of writing your actual application. Yeah. As you were saying that, it was, I was thinking maybe there's a misconception that there's a hierarchical system and sort of the AMHSW status is somehow superior to a registered social worker. And it's not the case. It's just a different skill set. And I know the AASW have a number of different sort of registration pathways, but it's it's just a different skill set. It's not superior or inferior or... Oh, that's exactly like that. right. It's just different. It means... You know, there'll be some psychologists who never practice counselling psychology. They might work in organisations. They can't then just transition to therapy. Like it's, you know, occupational therapists have a similar pathway. Exactly. And you make a really good point. Yeah, you make a really good point. I, I, I think that um, if you want to be an accredited mental health social worker, it's not about a hierarchy. It's about you want to specialise in mental health work. So to specialise in mental health work, you need to meet certain criteria. That's all that is. Yeah. And it's. I think it's actually quite a hard transition. I, I've got a, a quite a number of new um, mental health social workers that work with me and I've supervised quite a number as well. It's actually a really big jump from doing therapeutic kind of case management to sitting mm -hmm. down with someone in a time-restricted manner and do no case management. It is not your role, especially if you're working under the um, better access model or with some of the yes. MHPNs, you cannot do that. You can't be making phone calls and doing support letters. You have to either charge for that or it really is you're thinking about the system, but you're not having an impact on it in the same way. You're not sending out care packs or doing home visits. Like You actually have to put all of that aside and really stick to your psychological focus strategies. And that's a big, it's just a different job. It's a completely different job. And I think people struggle yeah. sometimes with that transition. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the application in and of itself takes a long time. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, good. <laughs> it's not something that you can sit down and bash out in a weekend. Um, and I think my my goal is to just really make the pathway a little bit clearer for people so that they can plan and so that they can work out, okay, I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I'm ready to move on to the next step. I can't believe you did one just for fun. <laughs> yeah, I think fun's probably too strong a word. <laughs> I did it because yep. um, the system changed a little bit from when I did it and so now there is a quote-unquote exam. The AASW do not call it an exam. They call it a case studies exercise. However, it is done under exam conditions. And so I just wanted to make sure that I was fully immersed in the experience that people who come and see me are immersed in. Mm. 
so that I didn't have, so that people who come to see me don't have the experience I had, which was, oh, I did mine ages ago. The end. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no further help. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, as you were talking, I was sort of reflecting on the criteria. And I know for some people who work in organizations, it can actually seem like a lot to have X amount of hours of supervision or, but if you're working with that level of, um, intensity with clients I I think that that's almost quite low personally like 10 hours of supervision a year I mean I would do that in two months yeah it shouldn't like it is quite a privileged role and therapy is so much harder than some of the other roles I've ever worked in where there's so much room for error and it's not risk-free that people think oh it's not like medication there are side effects therapy can have big side effects and we can do a lot of damage Mm -hmm. Um, people might never come back we might miss something in the room what are your thoughts when people sort of feel overwhelmed by the requirement of how many hours of psychological focus strategies or supervision like what what advice would you give them about that expectation perhaps Well, I think that we need to be very clear as social workers, we need supervision. We are in, apart from people who work in non-client roles or policy, um, and, and I would argue even in those roles, but supervision is part of our professional development. Supervision gives you the opportunity to be reflective on your practice and develop and grow. So to a lot of people do balk at supervision and they and they're concerned about the cost but break it down if you're having monthly supervision you know break it down to what it would be over a week or over a day and you'll see that um it is very much worth the money and it's worth the time and I think we need to educate employers as well to be able to say if you are have social workers on your team then those social workers need to have supervision. It is part of skill development. It is part of uh, mitigating for burnout. It is part of making sure that uh, we continue with best practice, which is so important when you're working with actual people. Yeah, I really, um, I'm really, I'm trying hard to quickly scribble that down because that's such a good point of, yeah, people need to advocate for themselves and need to educate employers and, I refuse to accept a job that didn't have supervision. Like we can actually say no, because we're so good at advocating for our clients, but Mm -hmm. this is, it's unethical not to, we cannot know everything. We need to think about what gets triggered for us, what space we hold. um, Mm -hmm. Are we doing best practice because best practice changes and we can do a lot of damage if we're rigid in our assumptions of what we were taught 10 years ago or 15 years ago, um, it, it's crucial to have that supervision. Like it's, yeah. if someone was to say, oh, I don't need it, I, I'd fall off my chair. Like it is, it's ridiculous. Well, I think a lot of the time our new grads are going out to roles where it's not offered or only operational supervision is offered. And, you know, I always say, ask your employer, will you pay for all or some of my supervision? you it's okay to advocate for yourself it will only benefit the employer it will there will be no detriment to the employer um and i think that when you asked about the focused psychological strategies and the mental health 
uh, training, which is the total, including supervision, is 40 hours each financial year. Well, I would ask, would you go to a doctor who had done no professional development and no supervision? Because if you wouldn't, it's no different with us in terms of um, mental health accreditation. We are specialist mental health social workers. A client comes to us oftentimes in such terrible psychological distress, it would be unfair to that client to assume that you don't need any training, ongoing training. I, I would not go to a doctor who had a jar of leeches and said that's how we did it back in the day. I don't need any training. So any any social work, not just mental health social workers, but any social work, if you're specialising in your area, you can't just say you graduated from uni in 1994 and you're good to go. Oh, so, so unsafe. <laughs> yes, it really is. And I still got the heebie-jeebies after you mentioned leeches. Um, Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, they still use them on one of the TV shows I watch. So I'm like, maybe they do have a purpose somewhere. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. And then it's, and we talk about a lot, a lot of the guests will say um, supervision and training is is crucial. It's a non-negotiable to be mm-hmm. competent. It's not even just Excel. I think to be competent, mm-hmm. it requires ongoing learning and professional development. And as mental health specialists, yeah, that's a bare minimum to know your handful of, and you need to have a few. You can't just have one modality. You need to have a motivational Correct. interviewing, CBT, EMDR, DBT, schema. Like you need to have a few for different presentations and then you specialize even further into an age group or a presentation or something like couples work. Um, yeah. Because absolutely. you're right. Like we wouldn't want to, would you want to do that for any other service for a, a physio or for a dentist or imagine going to a dentist and they use those big old, have you seen those, remember those big old x-ray machines where you had to wear like the hazmat suit and this yes. like thing span <laughs> around your head. And now they just put this tiny little thing in your mouth. They press a button. Like can you, we have to evolve with that. Um, yeah, Exactly. And it keeps us safe as well as social workers. It keeps us safe. There are some people who, for example, EMDR is very specialised. You wouldn't want somebody to say that they did EMDR without the correct training because if they do that without the correct training, you can cause harm. And I think as social workers, uh, our big, big thing is that we don't cause more harm. Absolutely. And we can be the harm. Um, and I think it's it's in the specialty, right? So there is still a place for different types of therapeutic work. It's just might not be as an accredited mental health social worker. There is value in being yes. a peer worker. There is value in supportive counselling. There is value in drop-in centres, helplines. Like they're all offer something, but it's not um, misinterpreted. So people know what they're, what they're getting. And if you're going to yeah. have that status, it needs to come with a little bit of rigor. So I'm glad that you also advocate that, which is really <laughs> exciting. You're so passionate about this, having been in the industry for probably longer than many people care to admit. <laughs> um, you're still learning. You're still doing your own um, upskilling professionally, helping mm-hmm. others. What keeps you so motivated and so engaged with the profession? 
Well, I think that we just have so much to offer. I mean, good mental health is so crucial for everybody and it's good for everybody. A lot of the time when people are experiencing um, poor mental health, one of the ways that that manifests for people is isolation. We know in order to build good, strong community, we have to have connection. So good mental health fosters connection and connection fosters good community. So if I can continue to work to get accredited mental health social workers out there, that means that we are more accessible. And the reason that we're more accessible is because we can offer a Medicare rebate. Being able to offer a Medicare rebate, and, and people, we all charge different amounts, um, but it gives us the opportunity, for example, to bulk bill. I'm not a bulk billing clinic. However, from time to time, a client will approach me and say, you know, I'm having trouble this week. Can I cancel my appointment? I have uh, the opportunity then to say, I understand that sometimes money can be a bit tight. How about I bulk bill you this week? And so I have the opportunity to do that. And that makes me more accessible. I don't want people to see mental health treatment as a luxury that they have to cut out. I want it to be just another necessary part of their good um, health plan. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's what keeps me passionate. And if I can, if social workers are, I'm a social worker, so of course I'm going to talk social workers up, but the incredible life experience, the skill, the passion that we bring, if we are able to be accessible to people in a holistic way, incorporating what's happened to them over their lives, as well as having the skill to provide evidence-based uh, therapeutic interventions, then, then I think that that's wonderful. The more of us out there, the better. I think it's, that's so beautiful that it's it's the passion for good mental health that keeps you doing the individual work and then reaching more people. Like it's a legacy leaving behind doing supervision with other practitioners is you upskill them to then they go out and help a number of people as well. My my big goal at the moment, we have got a roundabout and my numbers are pretty um, are a little bit uh, vague, but we've got around about 3,000 accredited mental health social workers out there and around about 26,000 registered psychologists. So my goal is to get another 23,000 accredited mental health social workers out there so that we have as wide a reach as possible. We can work alongside our psychologist colleagues to ensure that as many people can get support as possible. Round of applause for that. <laughs> Three thousand's good. It was only two thousand not so long ago. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, if there was one piece of advice that you could impart on the audience, so we have a lot of um, early career social workers, uh, maybe even graduates, what would what we what your one piece of advice be? If you want to be uh, a mental health social worker get started, volunteer, do some training, you know, get started. Um, it can feel a little bit confusing, but grab onto free webinars. They're everywhere. Do that training and then see if you can find a job 
in mental health, whatever that may look like, because it gets you started on that pathway. And then, you know, sky's the limit. Yeah. And I do like, I mean, there is a lot of free training. I think people don't, I mean, any pathway you choose will require an investment. It's either yes. financial or time and a, or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you can start with something. That's great. Yeah. Um, what's one thing you wish you knew when you first became a social worker? How important supervision is. <laughs> <laughs> That's been my biggest thing. And and I think uh, I was incredibly lucky. I was recruited out of my third year of social work um, by an agency and I was lucky to get a lot of really good um, early supervision with that agency. But as I progressed, probably within the first six months of um, my post-graduation career, I realised that I needed to have really dedicated social work supervision and I wasn't getting it. Um, And as I kind of tried to seek that within that agency, you know, there was a few um, little hurdles there. And um, I think had I, had I've known uh, how to access an external supervisor at that time, that would have been really beneficial to me. Now I understand that for a lot of new grads that external supervision can be expensive. So look around for group supervision. Um, The costs are a little bit lower there. I I should also add peer supervision is such an important and helpful space to be in. But I will just add a little um, uh, caveat to that and just let people know that for the purposes of accreditation, peer supervision does not count in your 10 hours and that's because you need to be supervised your practice needs to be supervised by someone who's more experienced than you and is more senior than you Mm. but even those small peer groups I have two peer groups I have uh and three supervision uh, I have a regular supervisor and a couple of specialist supervisors that I access from time to time so financially it's a big investment but it's so worth it yeah I totally agree I think um and I've just finished recording a mini series, a solo series on supervision and um, the most recent one, which um, would have aired a while ago um, based on when we're recording and releasing these um, was just talking about how to make the most of those different types of supervision. And one of the things I offer is group supervision to um, school social workers. Um, So really niche because there's so many benefits to that, but the yes. peer supervision, I'm in a couple of peer supervision groups as well, and it's really great, but it's a lot less, um, what's the right word? People are very supportive and really um, positive. So you might not get that same level of critique that you would with a supervisor that you're working with on a particular skill Um, whether it's a technical modality skill or Mm -hmm. sort of a deliberate practice skill and that can get lost in peer supervision so you can have people saying you're doing a really great job and you can really nut out some amazing stuff Mm -hmm. and I I love my my peer supervision group but it's it's a different type of supervision where you're not getting in my experience that same challenge of all right so how did you work with that and you know, you build a connection with a supervisor who might know a bit about your family of origin or what gets triggered for you or kind of presentations yeah. you find difficult and they pull that out slowly, yeah. slowly through those different sessions. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that um, it's also okay to say to your supervisor, I know when I start working with someone new, you know, how do you like your supervision to go? Right. Because you're right in peer, there's, it's great because there's all that building up and support, but in individual external supervision, you can say, how do you want it to go? And then I, as the supervisor, as the experienced social worker, I need to be able to say, I'm just curious about that. Or can we just go back to that point? I just feel like maybe moving forward, we could look at things differently. Giving that social worker the opportunity to reflect and, you know, it's professional development. Absolutely. Wow. So a lot of that you wish, I think I wish I knew the same stuff and maybe it was harder than without the telehealth option but I do all my supervision, well, not all of it, a lot of it online now. And back then you didn't know, you had to find a flyer that someone had pinned to a notice board somewhere or yeah. contact your local, like. Um, it was harder. Psychological counselling practice and see if anybody offered supervision. Like it was harder to find. We didn't have the same networking groups on Facebook or LinkedIn to find yeah. someone who specialises in supervision because that's a specialty too. It is. And yeah. you don't just fall into I mean some people do fall into being a supervisor but I'm really uh, passionate that that requires its own training and its own skills it and then supervision for supervisors because you're educating and you're teaching and it's a very different skill set so now yeah, we have access to finding all those people which is we do and I offer all my supervision online um which means that you know anyone in Australia can access it um and I think it makes, you know, cuts out the travel time for anyone feeling anxious about having to get to supervision. And the other thing I offer is to speak to people's agencies. So if anyone is saying, you know, my my agency are a bit curious, happy to have a chat. Yeah, same. I do both super face-to-face and online. I used to love face-to-face supervision when I worked for someone else because I'd schedule it right at the end of the day and just get to go <laughs> home. So I'd find something on my commute it was just nice to get out of the office and what you're juggling so much so you've got your AHSW roadmap your Mm -hmm. ebook series um Mm -hmm. you've got the groups that you run the Facebook group that you manage your client load Mm -hmm. ongoing learning and professional development and networking and you know you and I pop we see each other in so many of the the groups we've got a, a shared network yeah all of that aside, what do you do when you're not social workering, helping others? Mm-hmm. What do you do for you? Well, I moved, I relocated um, out of the city to a sort of regional area last year and I built a new house. So there is no garden, which I, I used to live in the lower mountains in, in Sydney and it was just beautiful green and garden everywhere. So I I am building a garden from scratch, which is really actually quite a challenge. (laughs) So some landscaping. (laughs) Just learning how to, um, yeah, just just do some gardening. It's just really fun and and having a little veggie garden, that kind of thing. It's very grounding. Um, I work with, um, well, I go and see a really lovely Pilates instructor who is very much on um, a similar wavelength to me. So we do a lot of work around grounding and just being aware of surroundings. And I really love that because that kind of grounding and mindfulness I can take into my work, but it's also a really nice self-care for me. 
Um, you know, I'm exploring this new area. I, I do lots of reading. I love to read and, um, yeah, I just, I think when I take myself out of that social workspace, it's about just being very aware of my surroundings and um, just being able to kind of do stuff that's silly and fun for me, riding my bike, <laughs> which is let's just hope no one ever sees me doing that. I'm lucky where I live, there's some bike paths, but oh, I tell you, I know they say you never forget, uh, but certainly I haven't jumped back on that and gone straight back to what I was like when I was an eight-year-old. <laughs> it's a cute bike though. <laughs> yep, I, I can imagine. You'll have to give me a sneak peek one day. <laughs> the bike is cute. I, I look a little... Um, like I could do with some more practice. It's all right. You haven't nailed it yet. But I'm yet. getting there. Yeah, get there. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, Ashton. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, we'll put links to your website and all of that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, people can listen to the previous episode, which was episode 26, if they want to hear a bit more about your journey from paralegal to social worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other things? people can do you have intakes of your program or they can just kind of join the Facebook group what can they yes so people are welcome to join the Facebook group I will I want to make it very clear that's not for people who are already accredited it's only for people who are on their way Um, but yes I'm doing um, ad hoc group consults so uh, I've done six month and 12 month programs at the moment I'm just offering a drop in drop out session so uh, that first one starts on the 19th of July I'm keeping the numbers low for each session so uh, there's no more than eight people in the session just so I can make sure that uh, it's not you know too crowded Um, but I am offering that on a monthly basis so uh, that information is uh, on my website and also in the group as well so And I guess the other thing I would say to all social workers who are doing frontline work, who are wanting to get accreditation, just go gently. The helpers um, didn't have any answers during the pandemic either. And it's okay to just be very kind and gentle with yourself. Lovely. That's so beautiful. Thanks so much, Ashton. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. The Inside Social Work podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast today and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening. If you would like to support the podcast, you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and feel free to join the Facebook group. It'd be great to hear from you. Have a lovely day. Bye.